I truly do mean this. It's honestly, it's such a privilege to lead this church and to see what God's done in the past four years has been absolutely mind-blowing. I don't know if you guys realize this, but um, we had almost 350 people here last week, and we baptized 31 people. How many of you know that's, that's just absolutely phenomenal? So it's so cool to see this. I think when, when we came here um, to Crowley, you know, there's always, especially when I don't know if you guys know this, but in the church planting world, when you, when you go and you start a church, especially when you plant one, um, I'm, I'm not saying this in a derogatory way, but Crowley's usually not on the map. <laughs> it's not usually a place that church planters would pick. You go to California, you go to Dallas, you go to Houston, you go to Washington, you go to New York, you go to these big cities where you know that in a sense, or at least you hope that you can make it. But one of the things that's always been appealing to me about planting a church in a, in a rural community in a smaller town is... We're not, we don't have to be um, a, a, a big fish in a little pond. Or, or the truth is, you know, we, we really have an opportunity here right now to, in a sense, make an impact on this city. Um, when you read the book of Acts, you see churches, local churches, actually changing the economy and the status of their communities and their cities. And uh, I don't know if you realize this, but... Um, since we've been here, we've just seen God do so many cool things. We've been able to help so many people, and uh, we've been able to be generous to so many people because you've been a part of this local community, because you've been a part of this church, and it's just such a privilege, and honestly, it's so cool to see it all unfold, to see everything that God's been doing, and I want to let you know you're a part of that, but I also want to let you know we can't stay here. It really is. It's time for us to move on because I think the truth is when you live in a small town, unfortunately, you have a small mindset. And you think, well, that's all it's ever going to be. Like, is the church ever going to be larger than 200 people? Or is the church ever going to be able to do this? Are we ever going to be able to take part of this or do that or do that? And, and the truth is, um, when I read the scriptures and when I connect with Jesus, I see a very big God. A God who literally stands outside of every realm of impossibility that we think is not going to be possible. And he continues to act even when we're not always faithful. He continues to act even when we're not smart enough and we don't know everything that's going on. God continues to be faithful. And so what I want to do through this series, we're calling it Broke. How many of you guys have ever been broke? <laughs> you, you look at your bank account and you're like, it's not happening this week, right? Like, it's just not happening. Like, you better, son, you better stretch that Cheerios because that's all we got, you know? Um, we, we've all been there. Uh, the truth is, we all come to crossroads in our life. And we all come to this place in life where sometimes we feel like God is speaking to us and we know the right thing to do and we know the road to walk down, but usually we don't go down it because that road, that right road, is usually full of fear and anxiety, isn't it? You ever got comfortable in a position, in a job, in a community, in a home, in a place, and then you feel like the leaning and the nudging of the Holy Spirit and calling you to move on? And you go, but I don't, well, I know that could be good for me. I know it could be good for my family, God. I know it could be good for my growth. But at the same time, I'm comfortable here, right? Like I, I've gotten into this flow. I've gotten into this rhythm, this healthy pattern that my life has been in. And I don't really want to shake things up. But oftentimes, when we come to crossroads in our life, we come to this crossroad, we have to make a decision. What do I do now? And the truth is, I've come to crossroad after crossroad in my life. A few years ago, um, some of you guys know this, some of you may not, but a few years ago, I worked in the film industry. 
and uh, I got to work for a really cool company and got to travel the world. And, and, and it seems like this dream job, right? You know, traveling all the time, going to almost every state and seeing some of the most beautiful scenery. Um, but I came to this crossroads in my life where I was working this really cool job, but it came to this place in my life where if I could say it nicely, if I would have stayed on any longer, I would have had to compromise my integrity. Because it got to this place where the people that I was constantly around were doing things that I didn't want to do. The people that were constantly taking part in particular things were always trying to push their ideals on me. And I came to this crossroads in life where I looked at the job and I go, I love the job, but I don't love where my heart and my mind is going. And it came to this place where it goes, you know what, I'm going to have to leave. I'm going to have to quit, and I'm going to have to sacrifice what could have been a very lucrative job. I was on my way up to making lots and lots of money and then diving back into ministry just knowing like <laughs> I'm never going to make that ever. Um, and, but making this decision and going, okay, is my integrity worth all of this? And I came to this crossroads in my life where I had to look at it and go, you know what, it's not, and I had to leave, and I had to move on. And the truth is, many of us have come to crossroads in our life. Many of us have come to crossroads in relationships, we've come to crossroads in jobs, we've come to crossroads in families, we've come to crossroads, and here's what I have learned when we do meet these crossroads. The first thing that I've learned is I had to learn to choose to obey God's word even when I didn't feel like it. I had to choose to obey it even when I did not feel like it. How many of you guys know we live in a culture based off of feelings? It's, th it's this new term that we talk about all the time. You see it all over the, the news media, unfortunately. People aren't arguing politics anymore, but they're talking about identity politics, right? It's this feelings that we have inducted in, in our culture. But if you want to please God, if you really want to know him, if you really want to follow him, sometimes he calls us to do things that we don't feel like doing, but it is the right thing to do. But the second thing that I've learned is when I've come to that crossroads and I follow God and I do what his word calls me to do, the second thing that I've learned is there is this immeasurable amount of comfort and peace that comes over me knowing now that God's with me. Even in the difficulty, even in the storms, even in the hardship, even when it's so hard and I feel like I just made a really difficult decision, it's crazy how it works, but it's like this peace and this overwhelming sense of, Zach, I'm with you in the middle of this storm. Here's what I also understand. The longer you walk with Jesus, you're going to come to a crossroads when it comes to money. The longer you walk with Jesus, you're going to come to a crossroads when it comes to money. Now, I'm not just talking about giving. I'm not just talking about tithing. I'm just talking about finances in general. Because Jesus taught a simple way about his financial system, and it stands in complete opposition on how we view finances. Like God's way and the way that he looked at and the way that he viewed money is usually the direct opposite in the way that our culture views money. I'll read you Jesus' words in Matthew six twenty four. He says this, No man can belong to two masters. Either he will attach himself to one and make light of the other. You must serve God or mammon, you cannot serve both. So what is Jesus saying here? He's saying when you come to a crossroads, you must choose to trust God or trust money. When you come to a crossroads in your life, you make a decision. 
When it's hard, am I going to trust that God's going to provide for me and God's going to come through for me? God's going to be my hope. God's going to be my salvation. Or I'm going to look at the bank account and go, that's my hope. That's my salvation. We can overcome anything because I have saved up enough money to get me through this. Here's what's crazy. The word mammon in Hebrew actually means, or it's, it's Aramaic for riches. But the, also the, the, the Aramaic word, the word amen, is also means this, to which is to be trusted. And it's crazy how close both of them are and how similar they are because here's what Jesus is saying. When you come to a crossroads in your life, you have to make a decision. Which God are you going to serve? Because he tells us in Matthew 6, you can't serve both. And the reason I believe that Jesus talks about money more than anything in the scriptures is because money has the ability to grip and control your heart like nothing else on this planet. Because most of us will run over people for it. We'll do whatever we need to do for it. We lose sleep over it. How many of you, just be honest, we like to be honest here, how many of you have ever laid in bed thinking about money? How many of you have ever laid in bed up at night going, I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills tomorrow? Like, or you lay in bed and go like, man, this air condition is nice, but I don't know if I'm going to have it tomorrow, right? And, and this, is a, this is a reality that many of us face. And here's all I want to tell you this morning. God is opposed to us trusting in riches over us trusting in him. And listen, just like we talked about a few weeks ago, like I know in principle it's easy to say, but it's so hard to live out, isn't it? It's easy to, to speak the scriptures. It's easy to read it and say, yes, that's good. But then when you find yourself in the circumstance, in that season of life where there's nothing and you have to learn to trust on him, it takes a completely different meaning. So Jesus actually gives us an illustration, I think, what he's actually trying to accomplish here. This is Mark 12, verse 41 through 44. It says, then he sat down in front of the collection box, watching as people dropped their money into the chest. Verse 42. And many rich people were putting in large sums. Now watch this, this is important. But one poor widow came who dropped in two tiny coins together worth a farthing. So he called his disciples to him and said, I assure you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the treasury. For they have all put in a contribution out of their surplus. Now watch this. But she, out of her need, has thrown in all she possessed and all she has lived. So watch this, the person who trusts in money can only give what he will not miss. The person who trusts in money can only give what he will not miss. So what is Jesus saying in this? He says, those rich people that are dropping in the money, he said, it's nothing to them. It changes nothing about their lives. But this widow, she gave what she was living on. She gave more than any of them. Because here's what Jesus is saying. It's not about the amount. And I know in church, and unfortunately, we've probably all been in bad experiences where when churches talk about money and you got a guy on TV talking about contribute to this so I can buy a plane and all that kind of stuff. Listen, that's not who we are, okay? Let me just clarify that. We've always had this open book policy. If you want to know anything about our finances, we will tell you, we will show you. But here's what Jesus is saying at the end of the day. He's saying, if you're only giving something that you will not miss, are you really giving at all? Are you really giving at all? Is it really a sacrifice when you give? See, who did the widow trust in this situation? She surely did not trust mammon. She trusted God. She said, you know what, God, I'm going to give you what I have. This is what I need to make it during the week. And I give it to you because you are enough. 
compared to what she owned, she put in more than all of everybody else combined. So here's what I want to do today. I want to talk about God's system for money. Because it's not about God's will. Here's what we we do in church a lot of times. We always talk about giving, but we forget to talk about receiving. Because it's both and, right? Like God not only wants you to give, but he wants you to learn how to receive something. How many of you sometimes have a problem receiving a gift? You're like, no, 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 don't pay for my meal. Anybody? No, 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 I got, even though you really need somebody to do that for you, right? No, 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 I don't need help. No, no, and here, here's the problem. Here's what I've learned in life. Oftentimes when I get to a place, I get past the shame, I get past all the things that I'm going on and say, you know what, I do need help. This is where I'm at. And it's, it's all of a sudden, it's like God starts giving and I start learning how to receive. Here's the truth. I, I genuinely believe this. The reason that some people have an issue with money is because they don't know how to receive. It's not that they don't know how to give, they don't know how to receive. Because there's this pride exterior that has to come down. We have to learn to be able to receive. We have to learn that sometimes we all deal with hard times. Sometimes we all deal with things. See, it will be impossible for you to give if you don't understand how to receive from God. So how do we receive from God? Proverbs 8.10. Receive my instruction and not silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. So let me read that again. Receive my instruction and not silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. Now what's going on here in, in Proverbs 8.10? This, this is actually what we would call Hebrewism. So it means God's not actually saying, because it appears on the service that, hey, you just need to ins- receive my instruction and don't take any silver and gold. That's not what he's actually saying. The best way that I could um, explain it to you is how many of you ever said, like, I'm so hungry I could eat a cow? You know, that, that's what's going on right here in the scripture, okay? It's a Hebrewism, like a thousand years from now, people kind of be puzzled that we didn't actually eat cows, right? Like, they'll read our literature a thousand years, I was so hungry I could eat a cow, and somebody will have to explain it. No, they didn't actually eat a full cow, right? It's a Hebrewism. So what is God actually saying in this text? He's saying that you cannot have anything if you don't first take on my wisdom, said the silver and the gold, not saying that you can't have some, but you're never going to get the treasure behind it unless you learn to receive wisdom. Here's what I want you to understand. The currency of God's kingdom is not money. The currency of God's kingdom is wisdom. The currency of God's kingdom to receive his blessings is to receive his wisdom. So here's what I want to do this morning. You've got to change the way that you think about money. You've got to change the way that you think about money. If you're looking for money first, you're going to miss what God wants to do in your life. If you're looking for money first, you're going to miss what God wants to do in your life. Because wisdom is the currency of God's financial system. It just is. So let's talk about four things to help us understand what wisdom really is. Number one, wisdom comes before blessing. Wisdom comes before blessing. Think about it. It was established before the material world was ever created. Wisdom was. Now, I was reading this in the text, and it kind of blew me away, because when you read Genesis, you know, you read in the first few chapters the creation of the earth, and that God formed, like, the the planets and the oceans and the stars and all these things. But I want you to understand, we see in the scriptures that before he spoke anything, before he formed anything, there was wisdom. Watch this, Proverbs 8, 22 through 23. The Lord formed me... In the beginning, this is wisdom talking. 
The Lord, the Lord formed wisdom in the beginning before he created anything else. Ages ago, I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. So, how many, anybody likes science in here? Any, any science? So put your science hat on for a moment, and if I totally blow this, I'm not a scientist, so I'm just going to try to help you, okay? Matter cannot exist, and the earth cannot exist, the atmosphere that allows us to breathe water, none of it can exist without the laws of physics. None of it can. Actually, without the law of gravity, nothing would be held together, Right? So everything that stays stable here on this earth has to have something that is holding it down. All the laws of physics are a supreme manifestation of God's wisdom. So before God created anything, there had to be wisdom in place. See, God's wisdom was established before he even created the earth. So here's what I want you to understand. Wisdom comes before material things exist. Wisdom comes before material things exist. So here's the idea behind what I'm trying to say. Since money is material, wisdom must come before money or you will never know how to handle it. Because material or money is material, wisdom has to come before it. And here's the truth. When we get that right, we'll stop looking to money as our God and we'll start looking to wisdom. We'll stop looking to money to satisfy all of our needs. We'll stop looking to money to be a God for us. Point number two is wisdom is better than money. Because here's the truth. If some of you had some wisdom in some of the decisions that you made, you wouldn't have to be praying for money right now, (laughs) right? How many of you have gotten yourself in a financial bind just not using wisdom? All of us. In other words, with wisdom will come wealth that lasts and it's honest. This is what Proverbs says, Proverbs 8, 19. With wisdom are riches and honor, lasting wealth and judgment. So here's the crazy thing. If you can get wisdom, God's saying, I want to give you riches not just for a season, not just for a moment, but money that will last. It'll set you up for the future. How many of you have ever been taken advantage financially? How many of you have ever had your bank account hacked? <laughs> I've had it like happen two or three times. I don't know what it is. Like for some, I was at, uh, last year I was at an LSU um, game, which, sorry, um, LSU, let's just be honest, they sucked yesterday. <laughs> um, but I was at an LSU game uh, a, a year ago, and I used my debit card in this ATM, and apparently, you know those, like, scamming devices that they put overneath the ATM where they, I got scammed. I remember waking up Monday morning, like, checking my bank account, and I was like, oh, oh my God. It was one of those things. And, and here's what's crazy. Oftentimes, when you get taken advantage financially or something happens to you, sometimes if you're not careful and you don't use wisdom in that moment, it can damage the rest of how you look at money. Especially if people have taken advantage of you. Especially if the church has taken advantage of you. So some of us look at certain systems or certain institutions and we go, oh, well, they're all like that. Can I tell you something? Don't let some crazy preacher on TV talking about his jet spoil the whole thing for the church. Because the truth is, I still genuinely believe this, the, the local church is the hope of the world. I still believe it. And it still requires us to be all in. 
With wisdom comes justice and honest living. So let me illustrate how this works for you. How many of you have ever done the same job for so long and you finally think to yourself, there's got to be a better way to do this? I am so thankful for the person that one day, I don't know who it was, but was vacuuming and going, there has to be a better way to do this without a cord. There just has to be a better way. Let's make wireless vacuums. Great. And they had another guy that says, you know what? Our culture is getting so lazy. Let's just make robotic vacuums where people don't have to do it. We have one of those. It's the most amazing thing in the world. Hey, boys, can you go vacuum? Yes. Deep. <laughs> Love it. A few years ago, how many of you guys watch Shark Tank? My wife and I watch it all the time. It's a cool show. They have a guy on there. He was, he, his to date has become the most successful entrepreneur on the show. One day he was washing dishes with a sponge, and he said, it's, this is difficult to wash spoons with a regular sponge, so I'm going to make a circle sponge and put a little hole in it that looks like a smile, and I'm going to try to sell that. And he called it Scrub Daddy. Um, like five years later, he's made $50 million off of a sponge. How many of you wish you would have had that idea? It costs like, I think it costs like 15 cents for him to make it, and they sell it for I don't, some ungodly amount. His profit margins are probably crazy. Wisdom says there has to be a better way, right? So you look at your system, you look at what you're doing, and if we tap into wisdom, if you're broke right now, Here's what wisdom says. There's got to be a better way. There has to be a way for me to get out of this. I'm not going to stay stuck in this small town mindset. I'm not going to stay stuck in this poverty mindset. Well, my mom was poor, my dad was poor, my grandma was. So that's just how I'm going to be. Wisdom says, no, there is a better way. Now, the excuse that I hear as a pastor is this. Well, I'm trying to use wisdom. I'm tithing. Let me ask you a question. This is going to sting. Are you tithing or are you tipping? Are you tithing or are you tipping? Are you tithing or are you tipping God? Because here's the truth. God doesn't want your, your leftovers. He wants your firsts. And it's not genuine like the widow's might. It is not actually giving unless it costs you something. It's not. So here's what most of us do. The bucket comes around. We drop a few bucks in there to, to ease our guilt, Right? I'll feel a little bit better. And here's what God says. If you would just trust me with everything that you have, then I'll bless you. Here's the truth. When we're just tipping God, here's what we're telling God. God, I still need to be in control because I'm not sure if I'm going to have enough for tomorrow. And God says, hey, how about you let me worry about that? And I know this stands in complete contradiction to the way that our world works. But here's what's crazy. Every single time that I have tried to outgive God, God still continues to give back to me. Every single time that I have been faithful to do that, wisdom says that God's ideals, his laws, his ways are better. 2 Corinthians 9, 8 puts it this way, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Now, it's one thing to go through hard work, but it's even better to have smart work, isn't it? Like, it's fine to work hard right now, but let's be honest, when you're 65, 70 years old, you don't want to still be digging ditches, do you? You want to think of a better, how do I do this in a better way? How do I set myself up so when I'm older, I don't have to do what I had to do when I was younger? God wants to give you ideas. The truth is, some of you in here are entrepreneurs. Some of you have an idea, but the only reason that you have not done it is because you're terrified. 
because you've come to that crossroad. I know I could take this path, but I have no idea what that looks like down there. And God says, it's not for you to know. You just leave that up to me. Because oftentimes when you take a risk, when you jump into something, you don't know what the outcome is going to be. And you have to fight through fear. You have to fight through insecurity. You have to fight through all that to finally get to the place where you go, what? God's there in that moment. So how does God pay us back? How do we learn to receive from God? He gives us wisdom. He gives us ideas. He gives us a better way of doing things. Number three, wisdom channels God's blessing. Now, I'm about to read a passage that we've all read, but I want you to look at it in a different way. This is Malachi 3.10. It says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open up the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Now, let's be honest. This is one of the most talked about scriptures when it comes to tithing, when it comes to generosity, when it comes to giving. And many people miss the picture because they focus on the amount and they focus on simply giving. But if you look at the very end of it, God is actually talking about receiving. He's saying, but if you do this, then I want to pour out something on you that you can't even contain yourself. So what exactly is the tithe? The tithe is simply this, putting God first in every area of your life. Not just with our words, but with our stuff. See, God says, honor me first. That's why we're called to give our first fruits. So as I said earlier, that God does not want our leftovers. Because let's just be honest, if we're giving God our leftovers, it doesn't take anything to trust him with that, does it? But when we give God our first, we, this is what we do every single week. God, this is in your hands, and I totally trust you. But I also want you to look at the channel that it talks about in Malachi. Look at the channel of blessing that opens up when we tap into this. Tithing produces a channel of God's blessing, and windows are channels. Here's what's crazy. I wonder if many of us are not at a place where we feel like God is blessing us because we're sitting in our house with all of our windows closed and we're sitting in the dark and saying, I'm going to figure this out myself. And there's no channel for God to get in. I thought of this illustration this week as I was preparing for this message, and I think it'll be helpful. But the kingdom of God is like breathing. You have to do two steps to breathe properly. You inhale and you exhale. Now, if you walk around and you just try to inhale and never exhale, the whole breathing system, it doesn't work, right? And, and here's what I, I thought about as I was thinking about this, and this is what I, I felt like God was speaking to me this week. A lot of us come in here and we inhale. We inhale God's goodness, his mercy, and we talk about God, and we, we, God fills us up, and we hear his word, and we get in community, and we dive into life groups. And this is all wonderful, amazing stuff, but the reason Monday through Saturday still sucks for you is because you're not learning to exhale. Because when you start inhaling all of God's goodness, all of his mercy, and God starts speaking to you, and he starts moving on you, there has to be something reciprocal. You have to learn to exhale. Okay, now, you know what? Because of what God's done for me, I'm inhaling all of his goodness, all of his mercy, all of his grace. Now I'm required to exhale, and now I'm required to show kindness to other people. I'm required to give to other people. I'm required to be generous. Why? Because I'm inhaling all of his goodness, therefore I exhale it. Does that make sense? And, and the reason that many of us have a hard time with this process, the reason that many of us 
don't feel connected to Jesus is because we're just simply inhaling. We're taking it all in for ourselves, and God says, it was never meant for just you. All the things that you're receiving and that you're getting and how God's changing and shaping and forming your life, we're called to give that to other people as well. Some of us, and this is especially prevalent in communities like ours, we have to get out of this poverty mindset. A poverty mindset is simply this. We look down at our hands and it's hand to mouth and never seeing the larger picture. A poverty mindset is just looking at what you have and go, I'll just never be able to get past this. Here's what's crazy though. When you look up to God, he opens up channels of blessing to you. It's not you looking at what you have. God says, start looking at what I can do through what you have. (laughs) What little do you have? Just like the widow in the story. God, you know what? I don't have a lot, but I can bring it to you. I can do, you can do something with what I have. Here's what I want you to understand. I know what some of you are thinking, but Zach, you don't understand my situation. You know, I've been burned by other people or this is just where I'm at. Can I, can I tell you something? God never puts your life in other people's hands. He never does. You say, well, I'm still stuck because of this person. God, your life is not in their hands. We are responsible for our own life. He never puts our joy and our freedom in somebody else's hands. You say, well, if they could just forgive me, then I'll move on. No, no, no. He never puts our life in other people's hands. So here's what I want you to also understand. They may have said no, but no human being can ever keep you from doing what God has called you to do. Nobody. So they may have said, no, you're not worth it. You'll never make it. That idea is stupid. It's not going to work. You know what's crazy? Steve Jobs, who I just finished reading the biography last year on his, on his life, and um, he, he started Apple. And when he started the company, I mean, people told him he was absolutely insane. Like, why are you investing your money into computers? This was, this was like when the computer was the size of this room. <laughs> like, why are you investing money in personal computers? He had a dream. He had a vision. It really wasn't until Apple almost 15 years ago started the iPhone that, I mean, they really took off. See, do you believe in something so much Are you so confident in what God has told you that there's nobody in this room that could stop you? Because your life is not in somebody else's hands. See, here's what I want you to understand. God wants us to dream big. He wants us to think big. God is not a God who sits us in this poverty mindset where we say this is all that we could be. What if this church was so generous that we could actually shape the economy of this city? What if this church was so generous that we could get to a place where people would say, man, there's just something different about that church. They give, they love, they care about people. You know what that requires? All of us doing our part. All of us saying, you know what, God, I am all in. Because the truth is, here's what we do. Oftentimes, we we go back to inhaling, (laughs) right? We go back to, well, they'll get it. Well, they have enough money to give. I'm just, I, I, I can't, I'm not. And this is sad because we miss out on the goodness that God has for all of us. See, wisdom channels God's blessing to us. So here's what I want you on the last point that I make, and I'll close with this. Wisdom has to be converted. Let me explain. At a power plant, it converts electricity from different things, right? So you have coal, you have a hydraulic plant, you have harnessing raw power to convert it into electricity. 
Why does God give wisdom? Because the truth is it produces channels, but we have to convert wisdom. So this is an idea that you have to get. Because I want you to understand that the church that you're a part of today didn't always look like this. (laughs) When we look back on last week and go, man, that's a celebration. When we look now and two services, 9 and 10.30, and seeing all these new faces coming in, the church is growing every single week. When we celebrate that, can I tell you something that didn't always look like that? It was a pipe dream when I was 10 years old. It started in a living room with 15 people. Went from the Rice Theater to showing up Sundays, getting locked out of the door and meeting in a coffee shop. Anybody, does anybody remember that? Was anybody there for that? You guys were. Like, no joke, there, the one Sunday we got locked out, there was nobody to open the door. Another guy, we're banging on the mayor's house, like, bro, you better go open this door before I knock your door in, right? It, it didn't always look like this. I remember there, there wasn't, like, big numbers to celebrate, <laughs> There wasn't 31 people getting baptized. There was one. There wasn't 15 people getting saved on the weekend. There was two. There was one. There was, it, it didn't always look like this. Wisdom has to be converted. It starts with an idea. It starts with you coming to a crossroad and going, I think I need to take that road, and I know that road is full of fear. I know that road is full of all these challenges, but you know what? Wisdom is also down there. So I'm going to fight the fear. I'm going to fight the challenges. I'm going to fight some of the injustice that goes on. See, if wisdom is never applied to your dreams, that's all they are, dreams. See, some of you have ideas. Some of you have dreams. Some of you have been sitting in here on an idea for 10 years. And the only reason that you haven't acted on it is because you're scared to death. But what if we applied wisdom to it and said, okay, God, I'm going to follow your channels When we get to this place where we go, you know what? I'm not looking for money anymore. I'm looking for wisdom because that's better than money. I don't know what God is telling you to do, but I do know this. You do have a gift. There's not a single person on this planet where God said, "Mm, I made a mistake on that one. Every single person, every human being in this room has a gift they can use for God's kingdom. God has uniquely wired you. And some of you say, well, I don't know what that gift is. Some of you, like, you're just phenomenal cooks. You can cook some good food. And you just love people. Use that gift in some type of way. Some of you are super entrepreneurial and you have ideas all the time. What would it look like if you were actually centered in a church that said, you know what? I know you have some good ideas, but we're going to get behind you and encourage you to do those things. The truth is, the reason most entrepreneurs never succeed is because they try to go at it alone. (laughs) Sometimes if you just have that person encouraging you and pushing you along the journey, you keep going. Moms, it may be a second job to finish your degree. It may be, well, I don't don't know if I can leave my kids and do, they'll be fine. (laughs) They'll be fine. Like if you have a dream tap into wisdom and say, God, this is what I want to go for. This is what I want to do. Because here's at the end of the day, at the end of the day, 
God has put me here for a purpose and he's put me here for a reason. And, and here's the truth. I love what Pastor Tim Delina says. He says this, a legacy is the future influenced by you without you. That's what a legacy is. What if we left behind a church when every single person in this room is dead and gone, but our influence is still living on? That's what a legacy is. That's why money is so important. You want to build a building? You want to have a place of our own? Every single person in this building has to jump on board to this train. What can I do? How can I be a part of this? We don't need more money. We need more wisdom. Because with more wisdom comes God's blessing.